0: This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Greg Offner, welcome to the show. Mark, good morning. Thank you for having me, sir. I'm so glad you're here. But before we get started, what I know is going to be an incredible conversation, why don't you put for our listeners in the context, who in the world are you? I'm probably the most interesting man you've never heard of my career.
1: (laughs) My career prior to the pandemic was, you know, kind of boring. If you looked at the day job, I was an insurance and risk management professional. But at night I shed those professional clothes. I shed that professional demeanor and I appeared on stages of piano bars and dueling piano performances all around the world. Now, 20 some years later, I spend my days lecturing, conducting workshops And working with some of the largest companies in the world to help their people be more fulfilled and perform more exceptionally at work.
0: I love that. And I will tell you just a little bit about the piano is when I was younger, I'm 55 years young now. I'm like, oh, man, piano. Oh, my gosh. It's so boring. Now. I listen to music like on Focus at Well, and I've got, a lot of, I got an instrumental playlist and Apple Music and stuff. I love it because it really helps me focus when I'm working. So it's just amazing. I thought it was boring when I was a young, foolish teenager. Now I embrace the instrumental music, especially the piano. I also love the saxophone. It's amazing how this music really helps us focus.
1: Yeah. If I'm honest, uh, you and I probably share no, a bit of a common thread there. Well, you know, <laughs> it's all lies. Um, you know, if I, if I'm honest, I started out playing the piano and was teased, uh, because I went to a Catholic school that didn't have a piano. So to get my piano lessons, I would have to bring lug a keyboard. If you can imagine a small child lugging <laughs> a full size keyboard under their arm, pretty unwieldy and uncoordinated onto the bus there. And, um, The drums looked a lot sexier, Mark. So I wanted to learn to play the drums. And I pivoted to the drums in about sixth grade. It's what I went to school for. Uh, But what I learned... Right. And if I'm being full disclosure here. It may not paint me in the best light, but what I learned is that when you meet a young lady in your college years, it's hard to bring her to your place of living and play a drum solo for her. That doesn't really <laughs> do a whole lot to further the relationship. But if you can sit down at a piano and play a song that just melts the heart of your, uh, uh, you know, your, your object of affection that really goes a long way. And for a guy that, you know, I'm not the prettiest face to look at may not be the best dancer in the room, but, uh, boy, those piano lessons, my mom and dad got me really paid off in my later years. Mark.
0: I I love it. And I just, I just had this vision of you taking a girl back to your, uh, your place and going, okay, sit down, have some rose petals on the floor. And you start jamming on the drums. I just have that image. Yeah. I can see you go, wait, what's happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see the look at her face. It must be uh, like, I'm sorry, what is going on right now? Should I <laughs> dance? Should I leave? What's going on? <laughs> that should definitely be a TikTok video if it is. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, I, I, I'm i glad we're going to talk about fulfillment because, you know, you and I both went through this thing called COVID back in March. I remember when I started getting those phone calls from my clients saying, yeah, um, I Lost my job and so I can't hire you as a coach anymore. I remember those phone calls and and we all had a certain moment. We had a decision at that time. Are we going to A curl up in the fetal position, suck our thumb and binge watch TV, or are we gonna say, look, I'm gonna take this challenge of COVID-19 and I'm gonna make the best of it. And it sounds like you did what I did and a lot of other high performers and successful people did. We didn't opt for option A, you know curl, uh, fetal position, sucking our thumbs and binge watching TV, we decided we're going to pivot and do the best we can. Now I, interesting enough, six months before COVID hit, I decided I wanted to get away from the, 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 the in-person events. I'm more of a ambivert. So I, I can come out of my shell, like on my podcast or something like that, but I really liked being home. I didn't want to live out of hotels and Ubers and planes. And so I brought most of my training in house six months before COVID. So I didn't really have as big of a pivot shift as most people did, although you know, losing clients because they lost their job was a big pivot. How did you pivot during the when COVID hit? Well I want to go back to Ambivert.
1: I mean I would think that's someone who takes Ambien on a regular basis. <laughs> but that's Mark, that's not your energy level is not someone who you know takes Ambien on so what does Ambivert mean?
0: Okay. I didn't know maybe maybe it's an omnivert I thought it was ambivert. Maybe I'm using, maybe it's not ambivert. I could be corrected. Maybe it's omnivert. What the ambivert is, is I come out of my shell when I need to, on a podcast, when I'm speaking, when I'm training, on live broadcast. But other than that, I like to just spend time with my wife, just watching TV or going for a walk. I don't like to be around crowds unless I, I, I'm i paid to be there. So maybe it's not ambivert. Maybe it's omnivert. I don't know. It's one of those ones where you're you're both an introvert and an extrovert. I don't know what the term is. I should probably yeah. look it up live in the show, but I'm not going to do that because I'm lazy. Um, but <laughs> you're biversal. You're, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so that's what no, I know. Mean. I know what you
1: mean. You're, 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 you're more of an extroverted introvert when you have to be. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I understand completely because I went through a large part of my life thinking I was a big people person that I really love to be around people, and I do. It, it actually recharges me. But there must be that healthy balance of time by myself to reflect, to ponder, to sort of get lost in my own thoughts. That's where some of my best ideation happens. And COVID um, has really pushed that to the far other extreme where for me now to ideate, and I shouldn't say that this is how it has to happen, right? I think the condition that I enjoy it happening in most, I'm now realizing is that for me to ideate and come up with new ideas successfully, now that now life has changed where I would normally get that uh, big idea or that big spark lost in thought on a plane looking out the window or on a long drive I now find it's while I'm walking around the city um you know trying to just be around the energy of other people um because you know while my my wife is Kim while Kim and I love each other very much and we're very happily married I don't think either of us thought that that happy marriage would extend to, Almost an entire year in the house <laughs> by ourselves, and leave you alone <laughs> yeah and, and 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 reimagining you know how our business life, how our uh, personal life you know what that looked like, so again, full disclosure for your listeners, when this started, I think I was a bit of column a and column B. Mm-hmm. It was very hard um, to wrap my head around what was happening because as a very conservative business person in terms of how I make financial decisions for my business. Um, choosing to leave a W-2 job where I made a very nice income um, and become my own boss as a keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, and coach, that was a very tough decision uh, that I entered into quite methodically. And so then to have the entire world turn upside down quite unmethodically really put me in a position where I was questioning, why am I doing this? What am I doing for others? And how do I go about doing it now that The the fundamental concept of what I do being travel to conferences, speak on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people. Now that that's fundamentally changed and being able to go back to the concept of fulfillment, really what I call a root goal is what drives us, what fulfills us, and really checking in with myself to say, has that root goal changed? How are you going to accomplish that root goal is what enabled me to pivot effectively. To continue to serve my clients, and to be okay with those days where I was curled up in bed, sucking my thumb in the fetal position, going, you know what, I'm just going to binge the heck out of Lost or whatever show I wanted to go back and you know comfort show I wanted to go back and enjoy because that's okay. Um, A little bit of column A and column B, we're human. I think to have one or the other extreme becomes toxic.
0: Yeah, you make a good point because a lot of people think I've got to be all A or column B and you don't. I mean, look at, I'm known on LinkedIn as Mr. Productivity. But guess what? Here's a big secret about me. I have unproductive days, unproductive hours, unproductive minutes in my productivity ebbs and flows. Now I'm probably more productive than most people because I'm a weirdo like that. But in anything you do in life, it's going to ebb and flow. You cannot be your best self 24, 7, 365. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad months. It's just life. And I think people need to extend themselves some grace and go, well, this is, this is a bad day. And I didn't get any." anything done. And I'm not going to be hard on myself because you know what? Yesterday was a good day. Tomorrow will probably be a good day. So I'm just going to write today off. It's okay. But a lot of people beat themselves up and, and you talk a lot about fulfillment. That's not going to help you be feeling fulfilled if you're beating yourself up.
1: And, and you said something there that's really important that I, a lot of my clients bring to our sessions just because you didn't get anything done. Doesn't mean You didn't get anything done. And I want to clarify that because that sounds like a real catchy statement. Let's put it on a Twitter feed. Let's pop it in an Instagram (laughs) quote with like some mountain behind the the quote picture. Rush, if you're a fan of of music, you know, the band Rush Canadian band have a song called Tom Sawyer. And in that song, uh, one of the lyrics is he knows no change is permanent, but change is and why that's important and how that relates to getting something done, even when you don't get anything done, is that even when we are not changing, the world around us is changing. And so by definition, when we step back out into that world, and I'm doing that with air quotes, the world has changed. So we have changed. Our position changes relative to it. So the real beauty in the way that my clients attack a day after we start working together is they know that to look in the mirror and say, I didn't get anything done today. They know that that is not true. That's an inaccurate statement. And real fulfillment is going to come from looking at that day and going, what did I do today? Was it simply recognizing that I needed a break from that go, go, go lifestyle, and that is what's going to enable me to be successful tomorrow? Was it that by sitting on my couch watching a show that I've never watched before, I had this insight? Kim and I were watching a movie, uh, and the name of it escapes me. It's that newest Disney movie um, where the father dies in the beginning and the kid sort of goes on this magical quest and learns that he's a wizard. Uh, it's animated. I, I don't recall it. But in that movie, there's a scene where he has to get across this massive chasm, this this massive uh, Grand Canyon-like uh, thing. And the only very descriptive, this thing. And, and the way that he <laughs> has to do it is by casting a magic spell, right? Now stay with me, listeners. By casting a magic spell, and believing that when he takes that first step, that solid ground or something that keeps him suspended in air will be there. And the spell was Rodrigo Invisigo or something like that, right? But it's the concept is you have to believe it to see it. And and I'm watching this Disney movie I'm going, yo, ho, ho, they just dropped a philosophy bomb <laughs> on these kids. And that goes back to Walt Disney when Walt Disney World was being built. Uh, Walt Disney passed away before it was completed and his brother Roy Disney was standing there talking to a group of reporters and one of the reporters leaned over maybe you know maybe your listeners have heard this story before Mark but it's a good one the reporter leans over and says geez could you imagine if Walt got to see this and Roy looked at the reporter and said the only reason this is here yep. is because Walt saw it before any of us Yep. and so it I had we not taken that moment, right? And to some people, what would say, well, you wasted time watching a movie. But had we not taken that, that little mind bomb, that little idea there would not have had time to germinate. So sometimes by doing nothing, we're actually doing the most important thing.
0: Absolutely. And of course, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, uh, which he he didn't title it correctly. He should have titled it Think, Work, and Grow Rich, because if you think you're going to read the book and just Read the book and become rich. That's not how it works. But anyways, visualization visualization is really, really important. There's not a single product or service that exists today or has ever existed that didn't start in someone's mind, in someone's heart, in someone's vision. If you ever been to Disney World and listeners of the show know it's one of my favorite places to go. I won't go there now because I'm not going to wear a mask, Okay. I'll wait till the mask is no longer required, but I love going there because it's called Disney world. And uh, when you go to magic kingdom, if you've ever been to magic kingdom, you don't drive up to the door of magic kingdom and walk in, you drive up to the parking lot. Then you either take a boat or a monorail over to the kingdom. The reason why Walt did that in Florida is not so much in California and Disneyland is he wanted you to leave the real world behind. He wanted you to experience a new world. And to your point, he visualized this because remember, this is back in the 60s and 70s when he created this. He the people were stressed back then and we all need to escape. Now, whether you go to Disney World or whether you go on a walk, one of the things I've been doing lately that really has brought me fulfillment is I've been leaving the AirPods home and I have been going out on walks and on daily runs without any headphones and what this has allowed me to do is one discover that birds chirp two that the wind makes a noise when it blows through the trees but three i find that my my thoughts kind of like fade away and all these new ideas crop up because there's nothing preventing them from percolating up if you will for a lack of a better term and so when I get back from a walk or a run, I feel so fulfilled because I have been quiet. And you, you, most of your ideas won't come to you when you have like all this noise and distraction around you. They come to you in a whisper. And I think you have to be quiet and allow that whisper to come into you. Hey there, it's Mark, and I will coach you for less than $2 a day, plus give you access to a group coaching call every single month. For more information, visit MrProductivity.com. Yeah,
1: there's a, um, a Bible verse, and I'm not particularly religious, but I was brought up, you know, in a religious household, and there's a Bible verse that talks about seek and ye shall find. And as a child, I always thought that meant something physical. I always kind of thought that, you know, well, if I lost my phone and I seek it, then ye shall find it and I will find my phone. And, you know, maybe you do. But the point, as I've gotten older, the point is really that you get exactly what you look for. And so if you go out in the world and you expect that people are going to treat you mean and that it's going to be a bad day, then you will find signs and you will find actions that take place in and around your life that justify that perception. And if you go out, And you believe that the world is a good place and that people are generally loving and kind and that it's going to be a great day, you will go out and you will find things that justify that belief as well. And one of the most important lessons that I've learned in my professional development has been the value of quieting our mind. Mm. We are bombarded with these external stimuli constantly and they get in the way of really identifying what we think that's you know i mentioned it a little earlier this root goal analysis process that i take my clients through it it takes these false goals these i call them surface goals out of the equation someone a wise person once said that people have two reasons for anything that they do they have the reason they'll tell you a good reason right and then they have the real reason A lot of people have goals. They have real goals, good goals. I want to be a millionaire. I want to exceed my company sales quota. We want to grow our organization tenfold in the next 10 years. Those are good goals. They're not real goals. Mm -hmm. Because to get to the real goal, we have to ask, what will growing your company tenfold? What will making a million dollars? What will exceeding your sales quota? What will that allow you to do or to feel? And people give me a funny look when I ask them that question because they go, what, what are you, an idiot? What do you mean? Like what I used to ask was why? Well, why do you want to do that? And then they'd say, what are you, an idiot? Like, what do you mean? Why do I want to grow tenfold? What, what are you, stupid? And I'd say, well, maybe. So indulge me. What's that going to allow you to do? What happens when you grow tenfold? And it's even even without, I, I, I made a video on LinkedIn about this, Mark, and it's not political at all, but it's simply, it's a great statement. The statement of uh, make America great, right? How do we know when it is great and what happens next? Is that a good goal? My root goal analysis process would say, no, we need to take it a step further and go, what happens when we are? And when people take their goal setting a step further to say, okay, I want to be a millionaire so that I can have a boat. All right, well, now you don't need to be a millionaire to own a boat. Let's get you the boat. Then you can achieve your goal. That's the real goal. When people get to that root goal, when they start seeking what they actually want, you know, just like Walt Disney taking you out of the real world into his world so that you can see what he wants you to see. When folks get themselves out of this goal setting mindset where I want to give you what sounds like a good goal and instead they get at the real goal, even through a pandemic, even through the difficulties and the challenges that life brings up, they will drive through those obstacles. That's power. That That's how you get to fulfillment.
0: It is, and you know, it's interesting. I alluded to earlier. I'm 55 years young, and for the longest time, I kept hearing, you know, Simon Sinek talks about the, you know, start with why, and and I'm like, oh, I just want to make money. I want to buy toys. I want to buy iPhones and cars and houses, but I really didn't have a why because you know, buying the new iPhone and new Apple Watch every year that's not a big enough why. Well, I finally have my why now, and I've shared it on the podcast before, but my mother has late onset Alzheimer's. So she is a 70, she's a three-year-old trapped in a 76-year-old body. My mom, my father is 79 years old. He's her full-time caregiver. My why is I want to wipe out all their debt. want to pay for the best care for mom. Now, dad doesn't want to put mom in the nursing home for obvious reasons. So I will pay for an in-home nurse, which is really expensive. So my why is to take care of my parents. They brought me in the world. They took care of me growing up. So I want to take care of them. Now, because I have a why, now I'm like, I'm more excited every day to serve people because I know my why is not about the latest iPhone. My why is to take care of my parents. And I think, you know, the why, the why people need to think about that. I mean, you broke it down, you know, the root, the root goal analysis, but your know, listener, don't just go, wow, that's, that's a real good concept. No, don't, don't say that. Don't think that. We want you to do something. We're on the show to help you become a better version of you. We don't want you to feel all warm and fuzzy and get a good motivational pep talk. We want you to take action. That's why I do the podcast. That's why we're having this conversation. And it sounds like that's what drives you as well.
1: It is. And, and so, you know, I'm glad you said get uncomfortable because I'll, I'll push you on your why a little bit. And before I do, I just want to say to the listeners, there's nothing wrong with wanting the new iPhone. There's nothing wrong with wanting a sexy car or a new beach house or whatever. Those are fine things. There's nothing wrong with money. I'm not anti-money. I'm not anti-doing what you want with your life. But the most dangerous thing in all of our lives is to set goals and then constantly fail at them. Because we don't really care, because we're not really invested. Then we create this pattern where we say, Well, why even bother? Because the last time, I remember I said I wanted to lose weight last year and then I didn't. Oh, God, I ate those cookies at that party and then I just gave up. And then if that happens over and over and over again in life, we start to believe, we start to lack belief in ourselves. We start to believe that we don't actually know what we want, that we're not smart enough, good enough, capable enough that we can't do it. And what I've found, Mark, is that most people, Get exactly what they want, but most people are really inefficient at identifying what they actually want. And so, I would gently, with love, push back on you. and And my 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 parents are still in good health. My nana uh, had Alzheimer's as well. So, to an extent, not as a son, but certainly as a grandson, that was rough. It was really, really rough. Rough watching that happen. Um, my heart goes out to you, man. I'm you know I'm sorry. I would, I would push back and say, what is it about caring for your parents, putting her in the best nursing? What will that allow you to do or to feel? And eventually I won't make you go through it on air if if you don't want to, but
0: I I have no problem answering that question. Uh, What will make me feel is my parents are under a lot of stress right now. And because my parents are under a lot of stress, well, not my mother, because she's got Alzheimer's. My father's under a lot of stress by relieving, by me relieving his stress, then I feel better. Because now I am doing what I can to help solve the problem. I can't cure Alzheimer's. That would be the ultimate. If I can just, you know, come up with a million dollars and mom's cured Alzheimer's, that's not going to happen. There's, there's no cure Alzheimer's. So, okay. So the ultimate goal is to cure Alzheimer's. I can't do that. So what's the next thing I could do Well, I can relieve the stress of my father. If I had someone caring for mom, then my father would have less stress. And I think a lot of his physical issues are a result of the stress. And, and so actually the, the
1: goal uh, curing Alzheimer's isn't the ultimate goal because you only want to cure Alzheimer's to help relieve the stress on your dad and to help your mom. So that's, that's what I mean. Like someone would say, well, my goal is to cure Alzheimer's and that sounds like a good goal, but it's really not. And if that's what we tell ourselves, our ultimate goal is the amount of obstacles. I mean, uh, you seem like a smart guy, Mark, but maybe you're not that kind of rocket level smart. I know I'm not. So no. we're going to run in to a whole host of obstacles if we say that our goal is to cure Alzheimer's and eventually we're probably going to give up mm-hmm. because it's not really the ultimate goal. And what you hit on was so powerful. You want to help relieve stress for your dad. Right now we can, we could, we could tease a little further and say, well, why, you know, why is that important to you? And what I think we would probably hit on is what I want all of my clients to get at what I want your listeners to try to identify. And that's their autotelic goal An autotelic goal means the, the, the activity in and of itself is the goal. And so for someone who likes music, you'll understand that for a lot of people, you can't describe why you love music. And maybe it's this, you know, maybe it's for for your spouse or an easier one is like women or men. If you like women, well, why do you like women? I don't know. I just do. It's just something about that, right? That's the the for a a man who is straight to love another woman. That's simply like an autotelic goal. You cannot express it any further than that. It just is. Mm -hmm. That is a very powerful root goal when we can arrive at that. And so for you, if I might push and say, well, you know, what will relieving stress on your dad allow you to do or to feel, you might go, I, I, I look, I just I re- that's it. That's really just what I want. Passion, my heart of hearts, whatever I can do to relieve my dad's stress, that's what I want. Then that's your autotelic goal. That's your root goal. And and anything that you do in service of that is a tick mark towards that goal. Because the next challenge, the next limitation that we put on ourselves in society is that is it steps. Progress. The goals have to be big. Mm-hmm. That's very damaging, and I, and I use weight loss as an example uh, because you know at one point I was thirty pounds overweight. Doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm not a very big guy. Um, so for me that was that was quite a lot at the time. I've always been sporty and athletic, and um, what I realized was that losing thirty pounds, I didn't really care what the number on the scale was, but but I put this, I'm going to lose thirty pounds out there, and then when I didn't. I was mad at myself but that's not it. The goal was actually to look better in the clothing that I was wearing. Well there's a lot of ways I could accomplish that. I could get a stylist and have better looking clothing, better tailored clothing. So there's multiple ways to achieve and get at a goal. And the the, the damage that I see people do is one, not set a root goal. And then two, insist or expect that their progress and the steps that they take towards that goal are big, are sexy because that's what we read in books by Napoleon Hill and by Tony Robbins and everybody else. It's yeah. my 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 favorite book to hate on and I'd love to talk to the guy at one point because I think he needs to write another couple chapters, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. Because the way that that story goes is I was poor. My dad didn't understand money. My neighbor's dad was rich. He understood money. Fast forward 30 years. I own 15 buildings and I'm (laughs) a Robert, what the heck happened between (laughs) here and there? Well, that's not sexy, Mark. We don't write books about that stuff. But that's the important stuff. That's the gold that I think your listeners really expect from your, from your podcast. And that I hope they take from this conversation is that when you identify the root goal, understand that those steps every day aren't always going to be big. They're not always going to be flashy, but they're going to be very important and taking it kind of bringing our conversation back. Sometimes by doing nothing, you're actually doing
0: quite a lot. Wow. That's powerful. And I, I will tell you that, you know, as you know, the typical overnight success takes about 30 years. And so we all know how Jeff Bezos started. We all know that he doubles income in during COVID. But what happened in the middle? No one I, I'm fascinated. I've read books on how Google got to be where they are, how Instagram got to be where I love not just the beginning and the current. I love the story in the middle. Because to your point, there's a lot to learn in the messy middle. We need to know what happened in the middle because Jeff Bezos didn't go from selling books to selling everything with organs overnight. Facebook didn't go from just on what Harvard campus, then Stanford to like the whole world. I'm fascinated by what happened in the middle. And I wish more people would would look at like an Oprah and realize that she wasn't a nobody and then an Oprah overnight. She worked hard to get there. Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week, had 37 rejections of his book. People don't want to know that. They want to go, oh, look how good Tim Ferriss is. But you don't see the early years. And so, Maybe I'm an oddball, but I am fascinated by what happens in the middle between the beginning and where they are now. I love to know what goes in the middle because there was so much to be learned at that time. One of the benefits of being a subscriber to my email newsletter is you get access to free weekly training from me to sign up for my email newsletter. Just go to mrproductivity.com. And that's
1: my favorite thing to talk about, and and I'll I'll be be very vulnerable with this story. Um, I, I uh, in college had a, a girlfriend. The girl that I was dating was a musical theater major, and I was a music major at the time. And I would kind of give her, I'd, I'd jab her, I'd poke at her a bit. I'd kind of give her, you know, static. I'd 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 razz her, um. Because I would say, you know, you guys, it's just so easy. Like you go and you, you play make pretend and you go out and you do these auditions and blah, blah, blah. And she said, look, you know, put your money where your mouth is, bucko. If you think it's so easy, go do it. And one day I ditched class and I drove up to New York City to audition for this brand new musical that was going to start. Never. First of all, let me just say I've never been, had never been at the time in a musical in my life, had never gone to a Broadway audition in my life, let alone an off-Broadway or regional theater audition but decided that I was going to drive up to Manhattan and crash an equity audition, right? But like basically crash a union job as a non-union employee or non-union performer uh, for The Wedding Singer, which was a brand new musical that was coming out. And my justification for this, Mark, was that I had been in a wedding band for two months. And so <laughs> and I'd seen the movie The Wedding Singer. Oh, so clearly okay. I was the best person ever for this role. So I go... Um, Drive up to New York City from Westchester, Pennsylvania. It's about two and a half-ish hour drive. Um, First thing in the morning. Got there, I don't know, really early for a college kid. It was probably 8 a.m., you know, so it's late for us. Um, And was promptly told by the equity monitor, who's like the check-in person there, that uh, you're not equity, so I won't even put you on this list. And normally what you can do is you can ask and say, look, if there's time at the end, can I audition? But for a musical this big that was really getting a lot of uh, attention at the time... They said, no, absolutely not. So I thought, well, shoot, I just ditched class all day, drove two and a half hours up here. And, you know, as a college kid, that's a lot of money in tolls and gas that I just spent. So I I asked the equity monitor, I said, are there any other non-equity auditions in the building that just while I'm here, I could try for? And there was one for Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So they said, you can get in line and wait for that. It'll probably be two or three hours. So... I had no idea what that musical was. I mean, I knew what it was about. obviously being raised kind of religious, you know, I, I knew. Um, but as I'm waiting, I started chatting up some of the people in line for the uh, wedding singer audition. And I'm listening to the men that are auditioning for this part and they're not listening they, like the songs that they've picked aren't in line with what the directions were in the call sheet. They're not very good. And I'm sitting here going, I know that I can crush these guys. I know it. I know it. And I was chatting with some girl in line who just said, why don't you just go in? Like, what, what, what are they going to arrest you? What's the worst that can happen? They say, <laughs> they said like leave. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty smart thing. She goes, look, I'm, I think I'm last on the call sheet. Why don't you just, it'd been a couple hours now. She goes, I think I'm last on the call sheet. Why don't you just go in? So, uh, I said, all right, but I'm nervous. I'm like, will you wait for me just in case they do call the police so somebody can call my girlfriend or my mom? (laughs) So she said, yeah. And I, I walked in and the surprise... So you walk into this room, for those of people who've never been into a Broadway audition, you walk into a room that is a fairly large room and there's nothing else in the room but a piano and two or three people sitting at a table. On that table are headshots and pieces of paper and you can't really see everything, but they're shuffling it about and moving and talking. It's um, very hush hush almost like they they don't want you to hear what they're saying. And so they all looked at me with the same look of surprise, like, "Uh, sorry, we don't have you on our sheet. And I said almost verbatim because I remember it so clearly. I said, yeah, I'm probably not supposed to be here, but I drove two and a half hours because I really just would love for you to hear me sing. And even if you can't hire me for the role, just to get your feedback on me singing would be like, could I please just sing the song that I prepared? And then I promise I'll leave, you know, just would you listen? And so they're like, yeah, do your song. So I sang and normally at a musical audition, at any audition, really, for something like this, you get through maybe a sentence like a lyric or two and they've made their decision they know what they want to hear or what they don't want to hear i sang two verses wow, and then they said um sorry what's your name and so i went <laughs> and i handed them the headshots that i had uh, literally printed at cvs in like the kodak photo printer the night before <laughs> and they said do you know any musical theater and I said, well, no, I've actually never acted before, but I like the Phantom of the Opera. I could sing you pretty much anything from that or Les Mis. And they're like, what about anything current? I said, no, I don't know anything current. They said, all right, well, you know, can you sing any other songs? I said, oh yeah, if I can play the piano, I, I actually play the piano. So they let me sit down at the piano and they listened to me for almost 15 more minutes. And then the woman said, look, um, I've got to go. This woman who was sitting at the table, clearly the woman in charge of this whole casting process. She said, I've got something else to do, but uh, could you come to my office this afternoon at two o'clock? I'd like to talk with you a little bit more. And I said, Yeah, well, how did I do? She goes, Look, you know, we can't hire you for this. It's equity only, but I'd like to talk to you. If you can be around this afternoon, I'd like you to come back and and meet some of my team. So I did. And uh, ultimately, after several months of talking with her, so what they wanted me to do was be on the show, on the Broadway musical Rent, which, you know, huge musical. I had never heard of it, of course. So it's like someone, you know, it's like Kanye West saying, Paul McCartney, who's that? Like, come on, you know, for a musical theater kid to not know, Uh, ultimately got passed on for the role after several rounds of auditions and callbacks. And I was one of the final four that they were considering for this part. And she said, your voice is amazing. I just can't consider you for a Broadway role having never acted before. So go get some acting lessons, like come back. I mean, we'd love to work with you. This is Bernard Telsey casting, one of the largest casting agencies in the world. And I gave up. I gave up because I believed that my next step had to be huge. And, and then I kept believing that if I was going to be famous, someone would find me not realizing that like Tim Ferriss had to put the work in for multiple rejections, 34, 37 rejections of his book. And the danger is that if I hadn't nearly lost my voice, I'd still be that risk management insurance guy hiding his real passion, which is performing for others at oh. night. But in 2015, after one of my performances, I lost my voice. It just didn't come back. It wasn't, you know, like you go to a concert, you yell, you have a little too much tequila. And then the next couple of days you're raspy. It was gone. And I went to several voice doctors, um, who ultimately kept escalating me to more and more competent doctors in the world till I wound up with the vocal surgeon who's worked on Neil Diamond. I mean, everybody, you name it, he's worked on uh, Shania Twain. And he said, if you don't get surgery, you're going to lose your voice forever. It'll, it'll be gone in two months and I can't repair it. It once it's paralyzed and gone like that, that's it. So from 2015 till now, Mark, I've had 14 surgeries on my vocal cords.
0: Whoa.
1: After every surgery, I've had to be completely and totally silent for two weeks while my vocal cords healed and then begin a process of rehab that takes between four to six months. Mm. And then the minute that rehab was, you know, quote unquote done, that my voice was back to normal. They said, let's do the next surgery because there was so much damage on my vocal folds from years of abuse and misuse that I almost lost the ability to do what I really cared about to explore my why, to achieve my root goal. And the reason this is so important, it's a long story I know for your listeners, but the reason this is so important for them to hear and understand is that most people give up in that messy middle because it's not sexy, because it's not something you write a book about, because it's not fun to tell your friends about. And sometimes they don't get to the other side because a death-like for me, losing my voice was a death-like experience. For some people, it's being pulled into the doctor's office and being told, hey, you've got Alzheimer's, you've got cancer, and you've got two months to live. It's only then that they identify their root goal, that they get passionate about their why. I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I live in the right town near the right surgeon. Like this guy, this final guy that I met, he's in Philadelphia. So am I. Like, what are the odds? I'm lucky that I had access to great medical care. I'm lucky. I'm so freaking lucky. And what I want most when we talk about fulfillment, what I want most from my clients, from the organizations I work with, is I want them to be able to achieve or at least identify and start to make progress towards their root goal before they get pulled into that doctor's office, before they get the phone call. Because there's so much power in choosing the steps you take Versus having to follow a prescribed path. That's what I want for people. I want people to realize how powerful they truly are. That if they do see it. They can make it real. With hard work. With thought. With action. And that when you do. Whether you, whether, whether you achieve it or not. Whether I ever wind up on a Broadway stage or not. I get to speak and entertain thousands. I use my piano and, and sing in my keynote. I get to do what I love. And even on the worst days, the days where I'm curled up in the fetal position, thumb in my mouth, binging Netflix, I get a lot done. I feel pretty good about it. And that's what I want for your listeners. That's why I was so passionate about coming on this show, Mark.
0: Well, I I want to thank you for sharing that story. It's a great place to end because, I mean, I, I want to go out on top. So that's a great place to put a bookmark. Now, one thing I've been doing lately, um, the last couple episodes, and it turns out a lot of people like it, even my guests, is I do this thing called Mike Swap. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to be a temporary host of the Mark Stuszewski podcast. You don't have to say my last name. It's OK. Um, and you can ask me one or two questions other than my social security number or my credit card number that you're interested about me. It doesn't have to be productivity related. It's a year, an opportunity to, one, to ask me anything you want So the listener gets to know a little bit about, more about me And two, it keeps me sharp because I have literally no idea what you're going to ask me So you are now the host of the Mark Straszewski podcast
1: Well, thank you for tuning in This is Greg Opner hosting the Mark Straszewski podcast I have to put on my radio DJ voice for this opportunity um, <laughs> So, all right, you know what? I got to say, Mark, uh, I know that your listeners aren't going to see the video here, uh, but if they did, they would notice that you and I have the same barber. <laughs> Mark and I are both members of the No Hair Club. Um, Chrome Dome I, Club. I, I made that decision after I saw a photograph of my wife and I at a wedding and you could literally see through my <laughs> hairline. I said, that's it. I give up on the battle. Um, what, what, what was your journey like in deciding to join the Chrome Dome Club, as you call it?
0: Well, what's interesting is I, I actually found a picture on my iPhone. I showed my wife uh, yesterday um, that I had a perm back like when I was like in high school. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I just decided to cut my hair shorter and shorter and shorter. I had those little um, those shavers and I kept going to two to one to zero, the double zeros. I had like a military like really close, close cut. and And of course, if you're married, you have to ask your spouse if it's OK to shave your head. And she goes, yeah, let's try it. Cause obviously not everybody can have a bald head. Some people had like, look at the crater of the moon. And, and so she shaved my head for the first couple of times. And then now I shave my head every morning in the shower. I'm like a human Chia pet, but I love being bald. I have been bald since 2003. And I keep wondering, I've been shaving my head every day since 2003 and you think after all my body would go dude we're not growing the hair anymore okay it's like 17 years but uh so yeah i did it because i wanted to feel the coolness because i live in houston texas and it gets kind of warm in the summertime now the one disadvantage of living in houston with a bald head is when it gets hot out because i'm a daily runner and it's sweat you sweat well if you have hair your hair will soak up the water with me, it's like Niagara Falls, so I always have to carry a sweat rag with me. It's like, an, it's like a, a washcloth with me to wipe down the hair, but uh, to wipe down the head. But I, I love being bald. The, the to defend the answer why I went bald, I don't know other than the feeling, I guess.
1: It is, uh, you know, for a productivity expert, it is much more efficient in the mornings. The, the get-ready routine, especially for someone who went from having a perm to now not. Uh, you know, the amount of time and 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 hair gel uh, and products spent primping that perm is, you know, markedly less than, than what we have to do these days. Well, that's that's interesting. It's something I think listeners might not have known. Um, so the other thing uh, you got a poster behind you and I can't really see what it is, but I'm curious what that is and if there's an interesting story
0: to it. That's a, that's a poster. My my youngest daughter, Hannah, made for me. It says, Happy Father's Day. And she's got uh, two, four, six, eight, 10 pictures of her and I together. And so she made that for me one year. Uh, this is back uh, several years ago when she had no money and she was like still in her teenage uh, teens. And I, I really love that. It, it, it treasures because her and I have a very strong relationship. Uh, what some people don't know is I have two daughters, uh, Rebecca and Hannah. In August of 2007, my oldest daughter, Rebecca, walked out of my life. Um bitter, uh, f- divorce from my first wife. Both my daughters are from my first wife. My, my daughter Hannah and I have a really strong relationship. We FaceTime every Sunday, every holiday, see each other regularly. She lives up in Ohio. Uh, my other daughter I haven't seen since 2007, uh, no communication. She's married now, high school, uh, college graduate. Uh, I'm a grandfather, never a granddaughter, have no idea why she left by the way to this day. I have no idea why. Um, so my daughter Hannah made that for me and it, I treasure, I'm one of these parents that treasures everything my daughters have done for me. I've got all the school paperwork, all their school projects. Um, they mean the world to me when they, I actually love the gifts they make for me more than what they buy at the store, because you can't buy this poster in the store. Okay. You buy me a t-shirt, buy me a book. I can go buy that myself. So I love homemade gifts from, for my kids. They mean the world to me. Now, if you were to send me a handmade gift and you made like a little crayon on that, Okay, there's no excuse for you, okay, Greg. Uh, but but their kids, there's something mad school about the kids. So thank you for asking about that. No one's ever asked me about that. Um, so I really kind of have people in my home. I'm I'm kind of like a hermit. I don't want people in my home. So uh, so thank you for asking about that. Maybe I'll put a picture of this on social media and, and share it with the world. So thank you for being the host of the Mark Chesky podcast. The final question I have for you is: Where in the world can we go to find out more about you and what you do?
1: Well, the best place, and thank you for asking that, Mark, the best place is my website, GregoryOffner.com. I am generally active on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, starting to figure out TikTok. um, And all of those will ultimately funnel you back to my website. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can message me on any of those platforms. It's really me. It's not some virtual assistant based in the cloud or some robot you're talking to. It's really me that responds to those. And in fact, I did a a program last week or the week before uh, for about 700 people. And I said at the end, I said, listen, I give these talks at least twice a month to audiences of your size. And I always encourage the people that I speak with to reach out to me because nothing makes me happier than to be able to put a personal connection to this experience, especially since it's virtual. And I said, and the funny thing is, even though contacting me on all of those platforms is free, there's 700 people here. I would be surprised if I hear from more than seven of you. That's yep. about the average. Is one to two percent of people actually take me up on it. Yep. Now I got about 45 messages after that, so I, I think people kind of the bait worked. They took the hook and they actually reached out. But what was great was two or three of them responded. I respond with a video message. So I use this. I'm not sponsored by them, but I use this service called Bomb Video Email. It's awesome. And uh, I can drop little video messages in direct messages or in emails. And uh, one woman wrote back, she wrote, oh, wow, it really is you. I
0: thought- <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's amazing you say that because like this is the podcast and you can go in the show notes and find out how to contact me. You can go to mrproductivity.com. dot com. I'm only active on LinkedIn, by the way. And I tell people in my email list, the, the Mark Krzyzewski Insider, say, reply to email. It's really me. And very few people do. And the people who do, they'll say, I hate to bother you. Bother me. You kidding me? I I love when people reach out to me. Even if you just say, hey, how's it going? Merry Christmas, whatever the case may be. But I don't know. I think because when you get up in the stratosphere, like the Brendan Burchards and Tony Robbins and the Mark Cubans, you're never going to hear from them. And I told my wife, I said, look it. When I become big like them, I never want to be that person. The one person I really admire, I don't like his language, Gary Vaynerchuk, okay? I don't like his language, but you can go up and see Gary in an airport uh, on a stage walking down New York city and he'll say hi to you. He doesn't think he's better than you. And I'm not thinking, I'm not saying that Mark and Brendan and Tony, like I know these people are better than you, but it's just like, okay, if you don't pay him like a million dollars a year to be in their mastermind, it's not going to talk to you. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a clean Gary chuck. So you can reach out to me. I still do my emails my wife proofreads them. So I don't look like a schmuck, but my wife, I write my own emails, all the social media stuff I do. It's all me. The DMS are from me because I want to grow my business and brand and know people that are dealing with me. So I applaud you for that because I think we're in a minority and I think that's, that's great. So, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It is a great conversation. Uh, Folks, by the way, you can listen to this episode more than once. It is not against the law. Some people go, I wish you'd have him back again. Well, have you listened to it multiple times? Because I guarantee you, you missed several things that Greg said. So, Greg, thank you so much for being an awesome guest.
1: Oh, It's been a pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, 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 hey. Don't leave this episode yet. I have a very important announcement for you. I want you to go to mrproductivity.com right now and get the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs absolutely for free. It's my gift to you. And while you're at mrproductivity.com, I want you to click on the tab that talks about my digital productivity productivity coaching program. I call it DPC. This program is incredible and I'm super excited about it because one via a dedicated app, you get daily. Yes. Daily coaching and accountability prompts from me and the ability to ask me questions, short questions in the app. You get a live group coaching call every single, well, month with me. Third, you get access to a DPC members only community online, and it's not a Facebook group. And fourth, you get replays of all the group coaching calls and my Saturday morning trainings. Now my Saturday morning trainings are free, but there's no replay, but DPC members get access to the training, to the replays part of their membership. Now what's this cost you? You may think thousands of dollars. No, it's $49 a month. That's less than $2 a day. So check out the digital productivity coaching program and grab the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs at my website, mrproductivity.com.